This morning, um, we are going to read together an Easter story from John chapter 20. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. And if you're following along in the Bible that's in your pew, that's on page 907. John chapter 20, verses 24 through 31. Let's give our attention to God's holy and inerrant word. Beginning in verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger into the mark of the nails, and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we do ask for your help this morning as we sit beneath your word. Father, we pray that this very morning you would be present with your spirit and that you would reveal to us the risen Savior, Jesus himself. Father, we pray that no matter how we have come through these doors this morning, that you would meet us, that you would speak to us, that you would reveal to us that we are far more broken than we could ever imagine. But because of our crucified and risen Savior, we can be assured that at the same time we are both more broken than we can imagine, we are also far more loved, far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. And so we pray that you would help us to see and apply this good news to our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Um, The children ages three to first grade are dismissed now to uh, Children's Church. We accidentally left that out of the bulletin this week, but if you make your way to the back of the sanctuary, you'll be taken to Children's Church. And while they're making their way, just to remind you about this insert that's in your bulletin, I forgot to mention this at the beginning, but there's a little, at the bottom of this insert, um, there's a perforate, it's a perforated piece of paper, and we'd love it if you could fill out your contact information, and after the sermon this morning, when the offering plate comes by, you can just slip that in there. Uh, for us. And if you're visiting today, I should also make mention of this, that our hospitality ministry team here at the church uh, has made some books available for, for our visitors. So if you're visiting, on your way out, grab one of these books. It's the book, The Prodigal God by Dr. Timothy Keller. That's uh, our gift to you. Um, well, this morning, 
Um, we come to this passage, which is a famous uh, Easter story. It's the day that Thomas met the resurrected Jesus. And you might be like me in that uh, I grew up all my life hearing about doubting Thomas. Um, but I don't think that's fair um, to put that label on Thomas here. And I want to try at the beginning this morning to show you why I don't think that's fair. Um, And if you can see why it's unfair to label him as Doubting Thomas, I I think it might help this story come alive for you in a new way. Um, My kids are getting older. Um, We have a kindergartner, a first grader, a third grader, and a fifth grader. And um, and that's a lot of grades. Um, and that means um, as they are getting older, um, we are having to help more and more with their homework that they bring home. And if we can have a moment of honesty here, um, at the end of a day, <laughs> there are many days that I do not feel like doing homework uh, with children. Um, you know, the last thing I want to be thinking about is long division and grammar and word problems that I still have trouble with uh, today. But, uh, you know, it's very tempting as a parent when, you, uh, when you're dealing with this at the end of a long day that you just want to give your kids the answers because it's, uh, it's so much easier. You know, the answer is 47. Write down 47. It's an, ad, you know, it's an adverb, uh, whatever. And so, you know, it's getting more challenging, but so far... I feel confident that I can pass elementary school. But, um, you know, listen, as easy as it would be uh, to give your, always give your kids the answers, um, we do try to be good parents, and um, we try to help them process through those problems on their own, right? Um, and, and we do that by asking a lot of why questions, you know, as they're processing through. You know, why did you subtract instead of add here? Um, Why do you think that's an adverb? Um, Why does water condense on the outside of a glass? This was a science project, right? And why, why, why? We're always asking the question, why? Because I want them to learn how to ask and answer that question themselves, because eventually they are going to get to seventh grade, and I'm, that's the end of my math expertise right there. It's over. I can't help. Um, so they need to know how to ask the why question and be able to answer those questions themselves. Now, listen, John 20, I'm going to pull all this together in a moment. John 20 obviously comes after Jesus' resurrection. Um, it's the story of Thomas questioning the reality of Jesus' resurrection, and it's also the story of Jesus appearing to him and the other disciples. And I want to show you how to metaphorically work the long division and parse the grammar of this story. And what I mean by that is we ourselves have to come to this passage and ask the question, why about this story? Why did John give us this story? Of all the stories he could have given, why did he give us this story? Look at verse 30 and 31 again, because John basically wrote this in those verses. He's basically saying, I could have told you a whole lot more stories about Jesus in this book, but I included the stories I did so that you would believe in Jesus and that you would find life in him. 
it, see, the, those two verses, that's the theme of his entire book. Um, he, he's saying, I was very, very selective in my writing. Right? I chose the stories I chose so that you would believe and find life in Jesus. Now think about this. John's gospel, if you read it closely, you'll realize that his gospel really only covers 21, there's some debate here, maybe 22 days, days of Jesus' life. Right? He wa- John wasn't trying to write an exhaustive, best-selling biography. Right? He, he's extremely selective and intentional about the stories he told. So now if you hone in on this day with Thomas, why did he put that story right here at the climax of his entire book, right before he gives you the theme of his entire book? See, all my life I've heard about Thomas the Doubter, Doubting Thomas, but that is most definitely not why John put this story here. See, John wasn't saying, look how Thomas doubted. He was saying, look how Thomas believed. He's holding up Thomas to you and me this morning as his greatest example of a believer, of someone who came to believe and found life in Jesus. And, And really, that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I want to talk with you about how to believe, um, because maybe you're already a Christian this morning, and you need to go on believing, right? This is the way to be changed in life. The way to be changed in this life as a Christian is to take this story, to take this gospel message, the, re- the death and resurrection of Jesus, deeper and deeper into your heart, Again and again, that's how you're changed by it. Or maybe you aren't sure. You, you, you might be thinking, I, I think I want to believe, but I'm not sure that I do. Um, this is a story of someone becoming sure and finding deep peace. Or, or, or maybe you're, you know, even further. You know, you're saying, I, I'm a skeptic and I'm unconvinced. S- I want you to see what Thomas did here in this story and, and ask yourself, if you could do the same things he, he did, okay? So here, my three points this morning are really just three points of application for us from this Easter story. What do you have to do in order to believe like Thomas? These three things. You have to, first, you have to show up. Second, you have to get real. And third, you have to fall down. You have to show up, you have to get real, and you have to fall down. Okay, first, you have to show up. That's what Thomas did in this story. See, he wasn't there a week before when Jesus had appeared to the other disciples. But even with all his questions and all his doubts, all his resignation and resolve to never believe, he still showed up. And I know that it's real easy and it's popular um, to, look, to look at and treat the Bible with a certain amount of chronological snobbery um, or arrogance. And what I mean by that is that we, we think, well, of course, these guys believed in something like the resurrection, right? That Jesus was the Son of God. Uh, they were so primitive, so unsophisticated, so superstitious back then. Okay, out of Thomas' 11 closest friends, 11 of them came to him and said, we saw Jesus alive. And this, this is the Nathan Turk we paraphrase of what Thomas said. 
what have you been smoking? <laughs> That's crazy, crazy talk. You know, so he starts to say, only if I could stick my finger in those holes and put my hand in his side would I ever believe anything as ridiculous as that. Thomas wasn't looking for a resurrection. He didn't have a category for a resurrection when his 11 closest friends came to him and told them they saw it. But what about Thomas' 11 closest friends, right? Do you remember what happened uh, when they heard about Jesus' resurrection? It's not in John's gospel, but it's in Luke's gospel. Um, Some women, they had gone to anoint Jesus' body, and he wasn't there. And the women came back, and they told these guys, and this is in Luke 24. It says that the disciples thought that it was, quote, an idle tale and did not believe them. He said, foolish. It's crazy, right? Until they saw Jesus himself, they thought it was ridiculous too. No one, absolutely no one was looking for a resurrection. Thomas and his friends, I'm saying, we're just like you. So Thomas basically said, there's no way I'm going to believe that. And I know that I'm having to make a little bit of an inference here, but I can't think of another way to account for verse 26, which says, eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Thomas said, no way I'm going to believe something like that. And his friend said, okay, that's fine. Just come to church with us next week, basically. Right? I'm into the paraphrases this morning. But he didn't believe them. Right? He wasn't about to believe, but he showed up. He showed up, and when he showed up, he came face to face with the resurrected Jesus. Here's my point and and the point of this passage. Thomas was in community. He was with friends. He was in relationship, not off by himself when he met Jesus. This is a huge point. In the whole Bible, you and I need community. I mean, God made us in such a way that we are meant to work through and process through this Christianity stuff among friends, in relationships, in community. If we can be honest here for a second, there are there are some very hard things to believe about Christianity. We claim to believe in a triune God. That's one God in three persons, equal in substance, power, and glory, right? But distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And I wish my kids would stop asking me about that (laughs) because I don't know how to explain it. But, I mean, it's central, It's a core doctrine to the faith of Christianity. Another one would be this. Christianity uniquely, I mean simultaneously, uh, is both a more pessimistic and a more optimistic worldview than any other worldview out there. I mean, in in this one religion, they're saying you are so broken and so twisted that you need to repent of even your righteousness. Right? Isaiah says, all my righteousnesses are like filthy rags. But at the same time, it's more positive, right? You are made in the very image of God, and that in Jesus, God is going to recreate you and make you what you were really meant to be. And it'll make you perfect, and one day you will reign with Jesus over his new heavens and his new earth. Right? Another one, we believe this right now, somewhere. In some place, in some dimension, there is a resurrected Jesus 
with a real physical body. There are difficult things to believe in Christianity. God made you to process through these things in relationships, in community. But you know, community is not only the entry point for belief in Jesus, right? It's also the way you go on believing. This is why the author of Hebrews wrote, let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing. Let us encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Community, we need it. Now, let me just be a little bit personal here for a moment, because there have been a number of times in my life where I have certainly lost sight of the death and resurrection of Jesus and how to apply it to my life. Um, There are times where I have been completely overwhelmed. There have been times when I believed it intellectually but couldn't connect to it experientially, right? There have been moments of intense wrestling in my life with fear and anxiety and depression and hopelessness and all kinds of things. And listen, sometimes I've gathered with the community of belief because I needed others to believe it for me when I had a hard time believing it myself. Listen, what has helped is what has always helped Christians throughout the centuries is being with and having friends who hold our hands and say, as we wrestle through the claims of Jesus, the claims of Jesus that he came not to give us advice, but good news. He claimed to be God who was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead. And we need people around us who say, you're struggling, and that's okay, and that's fine. You need to come hang out with us and do life with us, even where it's very, very messy for you. I mean, do you think that you could come into this community and bring your very real fears and real questions and your anger and your skepticism, and do you think they will be too big for God to handle? Surely not. Surely not. But you have to show up to process through these things. We've got to move on, but already I I can imagine that some of you are thinking, church is the last place I want to show up regularly with my junk, with my mess, with my struggles, with my questions, and my anger. That's the last community I want to pour myself into and get open with. And I would say to you, that's cool. I understand. Um, Hang with me about 10 more minutes, um, and let's talk a little bit about what we want this community to be like. Okay, second, if you're going to believe, you also have to get real. And by that, I mean you have to be open about the junk in your life. You have to be open about your mess, your disbelief, your sin, and your brokenness. And, And to us, that sounds terrifying, and I get it. And I'm going to ask you to put yourself for a moment... Just imagine yourself, put yourself in Thomas's shoes for a moment. Imagine that you had been with your closest friends and you had privately said to your friends what Thomas said in verse 25, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger in the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Imagine you had said that to your friends. And then one week later, Jesus showed up and the first thing he said was, Thomas, put your finger here and put your hand in my side. 
I think you would start feeling very uncomfortable <laughs> because you would be thinking something like this. How did he know what I said last week? I mean, it would feel like your parents just snatched your iPhone away and started scrolling through your text messages, right? It, it would feel like somehow your husband got a recording of, uh, of, of, of you with your best girlfriends at dinner last week and heard your conversation. Um, because w- what would be dawning on you as you stood there with your mouth open, right, would be this. I didn't see Jesus, but he saw me, and he has been watching me every moment. He knows everything I've been thinking, everything I've been saying, everything I've been doing. There are no secrets I can keep from Jesus. He knows every question, every bit of confusion, every doubt, every suspicion, every fear, every delight, every little thing about me. And here's what I'm saying in this moment here for Thomas. He got exposed. But look, he didn't, in the moment of his exposure, like you and I often do, he didn't try to explain it away. You know, he said, it's not my fault. I was busy over here. I wasn't with these guys last week. Um, He didn't try to pin it on somebody else. You know, did one of these guys wrap me out to you, Jesus? Um, He got real before Jesus. He got real. He realized that no matter what he said, thought, or did, Jesus knew him inside and out to the very bottom of his being, his soul. And the only course of sanity when that became plain was to get real before Jesus. Yes, that's me. I demanded all those things, Jesus. I didn't believe, I wouldn't believe, and I refused to believe. And by the way, I didn't just doubt what my friend said. Jesus, I doubted everything you said. Because Jesus had made many references to the fact that he would rise from the dead. Jesus, down to the depths of my soul, I have questioned everything about you. What if this community we're talking about, that we were talking about in the first point, was resting on this foundation, as Brennan Manning put it, that it's okay to not be okay. Look, I'll get there more in this next point, but I hope you already get a little sense and a little taste of where we're going. Thomas got exposed, but, but it was safe for him to get exposed. It was safe for him to be real before Jesus. It was okay to not be okay before Jesus. I'm most definitely not a marketer, um, mainly because it just sounds like an awful lot of work. And, um, but with the help, and I should do more stuff for the church, but with the help of a friend, I, I did come up with three possible marketing slogans for our church. And they, I, I have to tell them to you because I don't think they'll work very well in print. Um, but, um, but anyway, maybe you can use them on, on your own, uh, talking with your friends. Slogan number one is this. <clears throat> They're all questions. Um, what do you call a liar, a thief, an adulterer, a murderer, a coveter, and an addict all rolled into one? The head pastor of Grace Community Church, um, right? It's okay that you can come and hang out with us because our pastor, the people of our church, want to share with you our only hope in life and death, which is Jesus himself, our crucified and risen Lord. Okay, what's my next slogan? Oh, yeah. 
What do you get when you're on your third marriage, your second bankruptcy, and your last pack of cigarettes? Good company at Grace Community Church. Because it's okay that you're not okay. You can come and hang out with us, right? We're broken. We want to show you the grace that we have found in Jesus and in Him alone. Slogan number three, what do you get if you yelled at your kids on the way to church on an Easter Sunday morning, right? And you wished your spouse into the grave last week, um, and you caved to your addictions last month. Here you get a stack of bulletins because you're our new usher. Um, because you, you are welcome here in this place to be not okay, because we understand that it's okay to not be okay before Jesus. And you really don't want me to get one of those signs for the church with, like, lettering, because it will be very confusing. Look, everyone, <clears throat> everyone wants to, to market, right? And we talk about big youth group stuff and great fellowship halls and building projects and Sunday school programs and missions stuff and all that, all that stuff and big music and A lot of those things I love and a lot of those things I want for our church here. But listen, this is where the money is. Right? This is the one place you've been looking for all your life. A place where it's safe to get real. And listen, if you're visiting this morning, trust me, you can find a home here. Because I know myself and I know the people in this room. And you've got nothing on us. Whatever your baggage is, you can bring it here. Listen, to meet Jesus and to believe in him and to find life in him, you don't just need to be in community. You also have to take some risk. And that risk means you have to get real before Jesus. You have to be honest about your brokenness and your need, and that's not easy. But you can take that risk because, my goodness, this passage tells you he already knows what you've been thinking saying and doing in your life. You can't surprise him with your fears, with your questions, with your doubts, with your anger. To become a great believer like Thomas, you have to get real. Okay, third, last thing, last thing in our list of three things that John is showing us you have to do to believe like Thomas. And the last thing is you have to fall down. And I know it doesn't literally say in the passage that Thomas fell down, but I certainly wouldn't be surprised if he did. Because that's the posture that fits what Thomas said in verse 29. Because as soon as Jesus exposed Thomas, Thomas answered this way, My Lord and my God. Now, did you catch what happened? Or better yet, did you catch what didn't happen in this story? Jesus said, I know what you're thinking. Here, go ahead and put your finger in the nail print and your hand in my side. The thing that Thomas said he would have to do in order to believe in Jesus. But then, Thomas didn't do it. He didn't put his finger in the nail print or his hand in Jesus' side. And I think the reason Thomas didn't do it is it's in his confession where he says, My Lord, my God. Right? In other words, Thomas had placed conditions for his belief on God. I'll believe you if. And you do not give God conditions like that. The Bible is clear about this all over the place. But you know what? 
we do it all the time. Right? We say, Jesus, I'll believe you if you can get me out of this mess. I'll believe you as long as following you doesn't interfere with my plans and my goals for my life. Jesus, I'll believe you if you give my family security, if you help me get ahead, if you improve my reputation. We want to use Jesus to stand up on his shoulders and get the things our hearts are really desiring. Deep down, we're saying, if, if I could just get that, and it's not you, Jesus, but if I could get this other thing, then I would be happy, then I would be fulfilled, right? Then I would be fixed. Then I would have life. And here's why Thomas is an example of a great believer. He dropped all his conditions at Jesus' feet. He took his hands off of his life, right? And, that, and that's a terrifying prospect to do that. And it will stay a terrifying prospect in your life to drop all your conditions before Jesus until he becomes beautiful to you personally. One little pronoun, one little syllable changes everything. Listen again to Thomas' confession my Lord, my God. What Thomas saw standing before him was not just a theological or a doctrinal truth, right? Jesus, it it wasn't just Jesus is Lord and Jesus is God. What Thomas came to grasp in the community of his friends when he got real was something very, very personal. He was looking at a wounded God, He was looking at a God who had been pierced. He was looking at a God who had spilt his own blood until his heart stopped beating to save him. My Lord and my God so loved me that he gave himself for me. Martin Luther once wrote, Be careful to learn this definition and especially this pronoun. Believe this one syllable, and it will swallow up all your sins. That is, you may know for certain that Christ has taken away not just certain people's sins, but yours, and in fact, those of the whole world. So believe that Christ was given not only for other people's sins, but also for your own. See, we are often very good at believing grace for everybody else but ourselves. What Thomas saw in this moment was grace poured out for him. My Lord and my God. When you can apply the personal pronouns to Jesus, my Lord and my God, then beauty will break upon you. And you will finally find real freedom in your life. Freedom to enter community, freedom to get real, and freedom to drop all your conditions at his feet. My all-time favorite quote by the author John Stott goes like this. I could never myself believe in God if it were not for the cross. In the real world of pain, how could one worship a God who is immune to it? That lonely, twisted, tortured figure on the cross, nails through hands and feet, back lacerated, limbs wrenched, brow bleeding from thorn pricks, mouth dry and intolerably thirsty, plunged into God-forsaken darkness. He says, that is the God for me. He laid aside his immunity to pain. 
He entered our world of flesh and blood, tears and death. He suffered for us. He came, and he did that for you personally. That's what Thomas got when he saw the resurrected Jesus. He showed up, he got real, he fell before a God who so loved him that he came so that he himself could remove the curse by becoming a curse for us. He saw a God who laid aside his immunity to pain and was wounded for us personally. Listen, the resurrection of Jesus from the dead says that your debt has been paid in full. It's like the receipt of what he accomplished on the cross for you. Death has been swallowed up in victory, is what the resurrection says. The resurrected Jesus appeared in that room behind locked doors, looked at his disciples, and what was the first thing he said? He said, peace be with you. It's okay that you aren't okay because I died for you and rose from the dead for you. Death has been swallowed up in victory and you're free. The truth, truth that is not abstract but real and personal, when it captures your heart, it will change you and you can become a great believer like Thomas. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you have given us, a day to come and worship you, a day to come and be reminded that your Son rose victoriously over sin and death. Father, we pray that you would, that you would help us by your Spirit, that you would help us show up, that you would help us to get real, that you would help us to fall down at the feet of our crucified and risen Savior and drop all our conditions to believe and to follow him. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.